Welcome to another episode of How Did They Get There? Today we are speaking to Shreyas Daftari, an AI researcher at NASA and part of the Mars Rover program. We discuss with Shreyansh his journey to a job role that combines space research and AI into one. Hope you enjoy this. Listen in. Welcome Shreyansh uh, to the podcast, How Did They Get There? Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, do you mind quickly introducing yourself to our listeners? Thank you so much, Nishant, for having me. Uh, so my name is Shanch Daftri. I was born and brought up in Kolkata, India. I did a lot of my schooling there. Then I moved around a bit. Uh, I was had a couple of years I spent in Europe, like working there at the university. Then I eventually ended up uh, getting my master, moving to the U.S., getting my master's at Carnegie Mellon University, and. Now I'm a research scientist at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Nice. And do you uh, mind telling us a little bit about the role that you do at NASA now? Yes. Uh, so I, uh, I I have wear uh, a few different hats um, in my role. Uh, and that's that's actually very, that's, that's a part of my job I really love, that I get to experience different things. Uh, one of, uh, but in general, uh, I work in the field of AI and robotics, and uh, I'm a researcher in that area. So within that, uh, one of the hats I play is in general for AI strategy, so AI strategy for NASA. So I try to look at developing technology roadmaps into how some of the emerging technologies like AI can be used to enable the next uh, few decades of space exploration. Uh, having done that, then I basically jump more into the technical role uh, of uh, you, uh, developing some of those technologies basically mm-hmm. and looking at the whole product life cycle of from an idea to developing prototypes as well as field testing them so working a lot on different algorithm development for perception planning machine learning uh, all with the focus of uh, basically developing intelligent robots for moon mars and beyond mm-hmm. and that sounds fascinating uh, so one question i love asking my interviewees is do you love what you do uh, I absolutely love what uh, I do. Um, so I I feel very fortunate that I think uh, I am in this role uh, here. Uh, it's almost like a dream role that I could have, like if I have to write a script for myself, uh, that's what, I've, what I would have put. Uh, and th- that's because growing up, so th- it's sort of like a merger of two things with uh, I love and I'm good at. So growing up, uh, I, as a child, I was—I mean, I think every child dreams of being an astronaut. So mm-hmm. I was—I was no other. Uh, I always wanted to be an astronaut. I still want to do uh, want to do ex- uh, go in, go to space, explore that. So space exploration, NASA, rocket launch—all of those are pretty close to my heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, but growing up, I started developing more interest in uh, robotics, AI. I mean, that was my parallel interest in terms of uh, programming, problem solving. So I used to really enjoy doing a lot of that, which eventually led to uh, my interest in developing intelligent machines and intelligent uh, agents. Um, so once I got my master's degree and I started to think uh, long term in terms of, okay, where do I want to work in? Uh, so JPL, uh, where I work, uh, is one of the only places in the world still, I feel, where I could do both of these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's pretty much nowhere else we, I can do AI and space exploration together. <laughs> so it's really a merger. Uh, and this is, again, a new, sort of like a new area that NASA is exploring into. And this just basically started to uh, have like a snowball effect in the last few years with developments in the industry. So again, it helps me have a niche in this area and uh, it's basically targeting everything I like. Nice. And uh, 
so you mentioned about you know uh, your interest in space exploration and AI, and uh, that's what you know brought into you, uh, you into this domain. Um, you've you know, and you've had different roles uh, in technologies and in robotic research. Uh, what did you have to do uh, uh, to you know learn and adapt uh, for the changing demands of the roles uh, that you've been in? Um, yeah, great question again. So um, I guess uh, I've, uh, I'll, I'll maybe uh, break this down into some of the different learning experiences I've mm -hmm. had in uh, different roles. So before joining NASA, a lot of my roles was more academic. So mm -hmm. I don't really have experience working maybe at a tech industry or at a startup. So mm -hmm. I cannot give a very comprehensive on that one. But if I, I did spend a lot of time in uh, uh, working at university research labs, uh, while pursuing my master's before that also a couple of years I spent that. So, and the experience there was diverse in the way that I did that spread across different continents. So one of the first things coming was just basically learning how to, uh, if you're in a new place, a new country, just adapting to the new country culture, mm -hmm. uh, how things work. It's not just purely a language barrier at sometimes, it's just also much more fundamental in how people like to work. If you're in Europe versus if you're in US, uh, how people work is very different. And I think adapting to that does take time. Um, one, another thing which I wasn't probably not as prepared for uh, growing up uh, or maybe like with the schooling that you typically get in India is uh, there's a lot more handholding and there's a lot more bookish knowledge to yeah. say. Uh, and once you start actually going out and implementing these things are working on real world problems, then um, that knowledge starts to, all of those starts to degrade very soon and it's no longer useful. So having to adapt to basically working independently, solving, um, thinking independently into new, in new ways and uh, doing this in a practical knowledge per se, I think there was definitely a lot of lessons I had to learn while I was in academia and experiencing different, while I was still studying uh, or working in research. When I moved to DPL uh, and NASA, I think one thing I was definitely not prepared for um, is something that came with a shift in industry. So while, uh, let me give this context. So while, obviously while I was studying, uh, I was studying AI, computer science. So I, I would be hearing about tech industry all the time. Uh, companies uh, like Apple, Google, how they work and how the Bay Area works and uh, in that industry not as so much about classic engineering and aerospace industry. Mm -hmm. And I think something I did not uh, at least digest for a while, and I probably still haven't, is the time scale at which things work. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I came in, the first person I met, I asked her how long she's been here and she said 42 years. So she's been working here for 42 years. And since then I've met people who've worked on a single project for 40 years, 50 years. <laughs> uh, I Two years ago, somebody celebrated a work anniversary of 70 years. Um, so maybe that's, that's the thing about other people who work at JPL, they just spend their whole careers and they just love doing, like uh, people just stay here for 30 years after retirement. So. Uh, but that also speaks about the project timescales. Yeah. Uh, uh, like most of aerospace projects from, from an idea to actually getting successful, like a success for a flight project means it's launched, it's went to Mars and it's done what it's supposed to do. That can be several decades long, um, often 30, 40 years um, even. So working at that kind of time scales was something that just doesn't like, if I want to push a new idea, the earliest it could be like happen in reality is like way far out, especially yeah. because I work more on the research side. Yeah. Uh, 
So that is something I wasn't prepared for. Like uh, recently I was working for a project which was developing technologies that would allow me, uh, that would go to basically have a robot that would go to one of Saturn's moon Titan. Uh, let's say we start developing it today and with some magic that technology is ready, a mission, a spacecraft is built in five years. It still takes eight to nine years from launch to actually getting there. And then for a few years to basically work. So it's still like you're you're looking at 2040s uh, at the earliest, even if and that's that's still extremely fast. Yeah. Uh, said that I was able to also look back into synergies with uh, the classic industries, like uh, even tech industry. Now, if you think of the self-driving car, um, people would think it's happening so fast, but I mean, we started working on this in the mid 80s or early 80s, and it's still not ready. And it's probably another 20 years before it is ready for mass deployment. So even there, there's like a 40, 50 year gap between big challenging projects like this and actually making that happen. So this is something growing up, nobody told me, you never see this cycle. You only see this when it's ready. Uh, So yeah, that is definitely something I wasn't prepared for. No, I think that sounds really interesting. And that's really uh, fascinating information as well because uh, I, I knew about that, uh, especially in aerospace industries, projects take like 10, 12 years is a cycle normally. But yeah, thinking about projects being like people being in the same project for 40 years uh, and given the space exploration timeline as well. Uh, what do you do uh, to be able to uh, just validate, test or keep yourself motivated? Because obviously... Uh, it becomes harder when the project time skills are so long to get quick feedback, right? And as engineers, right. we want quick feedback. Right. Um, so keeping the motivated part, I'm still figuring it out. I mean, that's the part that I'm still taking how to digest like 20 years. Yeah. Uh, it's hard, but uh, the, the motivation part helps in the fact that it's just uh, one, you're doing something which is very unique. Yeah. So, I mean, the fact that uh, every day you walk into the NASA building, I think it feels like you're at Disneyland. So I think just the problem itself and the grandeur nature of the problem yeah. uh, keeps you motivated enough to it. So you, you really don't get, like when you talk to somebody who's worked on 40 years on this project, there's just so many unique challenges every day yeah. that you never get bored out of it. Yeah. Uh, the second part of your question on validation, I think that, that's, a, that's a very good question and especially very relevant uh, to I think the industry, especially robotics industry today, it's like it's really. Um, so one of the ways we try to typically do validation is basically trying to recreate as much as we can. Basically testing. Um, if I have to summarize in a line, uh, testing the heck out of the system, uh, in every possible situation you can imagine. Um, that's that's one way to go. At the same time, um, it's hard and especially hard for the kind of work NASA does uh, and we do because uh, you only get one shot uh, at sending things there. So you cannot really make mistakes, which uh, makes it even harder. It's not not like a classic software uh, development lifecycle where you just basically update a software app uh, and get a new feature update. Uh, If you have something on Mars and you basically there's something wrong with it, you can't really fix it. Uh, You can't send a human there to fix it. So that's hard. So uh, reliability is a huge thing. So typically you have a much more conservative outlook uh, on things, which makes my job, my personal job very challenging because I come, I'm trying to infuse AI intelligence. I'm trying to say like the human should back away and let the machine do what it does. So which basically is this new direction that I have to now take into is how do you build trustworthy machines? Because it's, it's actually a big challenge not just for um, me, but the whole industry, like how do you develop AI 
that can be validated without actually, like you don't, even if you're building a self-driving car, you don't want to kill 10,000 people before you learn how to do it. So how do you validate these things? Yeah. And it's, it's still something we're still trying to understand. Great. Uh, so moving on to the second uh, part of the interview. Um, is there a specific book that you have given most as a gift or one, two, three books that have most influenced you? Hmm. Uh, I think two books come to mind. Um, the first is uh, this really good uh, book called The Last Lecture by Randy Posh. Um, so this is actually a book by uh, a CMU professor. And um, uh, this is a lecture series that's supposed to be your typically your last lecture before you either retire or uh, in his case, it was he knew that he has cancer and he had three months to survive. Mm -hmm. And he basically gave this as a way to um, as a life lesson to his kids. And it is probably one of the best things. It's a YouTube video also. You should, uh, it's one of the best thing I've ever had as a life lesson. And the second one, I think is more work in terms of, it's called, the book is called Zero to One by uh, Peter Thiel. Yeah. Uh, it, it, that book always, like every time I'm demotivated, it helps me to basically make sure I step back and look at a big picture story of uh, solving big problems in the world. Uh, so yeah, those are two books that definitely has influenced a lot of how I do work. Yeah, uh, that's great. Uh, zero to one, I've read uh, the last lecture. That's definitely something I'll add to my list as well. Um, uh, and have you also read the book, uh, AI Superpowers? Uh, it's on my list. I okay. haven't got it. Yet, I would yeah, highly recommend that, that, especially uh, being an AI enthusiast and explorer myself. Uh, I would definitely recommend that book to you. Okay, great. I'll add that to my next reading list. Yeah. Uh, so... You know, you are uh, in a very competitive field uh, and, you know, there's so much uh, unproven technology with AI as well that you're trying to develop. Um, and just to get up to this point, uh, do you have a, a specific failure uh, that, you know, led you to a later success or a favorite failure of yours, uh, either, you know, in the career-wise or in personal? Okay, um, so I I'll... Maybe I'll give two quick answers on that. Uh, so on the career side, uh, yes. Uh, one was, I think, just after joining JPL, we had, as part of this big project where we were supposed to give a demo uh, to really, like, it was a project to be uh, funded by the Army uh, for the U.S. government, and we were supposed to have this dem big demo with a complex system, and we thought everything works. And But we, uh, we only tested our software. We never really comprehended all the things that could go wrong and what I was basically pointing to and in front of this really senior leadership from the army that demo failed yeah. and it basically it was like a dramatic and that was uh, one of my first projects and first uh, work after coming to JPL and NASA and it was that gave me a realization of how field testing or like active working on actual robots mm -hmm. and testing it is important so the complexity of the system was a lesson the second was more on a personal scale, and that's much more of an embarrassing one, but um, not embarrassing, but a life lesson. Yeah. But so once, once I started my job, um, I started to earn a bit. This was my first time basically getting some financial income. So I started to save and think about what do I want to do. And what I ended up doing was invest into the crypto bubble when it was at its peak, and I lost money on it. Oh. Um, so basically, that gave me a lesson learned in terms of, okay, since then I've been because I knew nothing better at that exactly. point. I basically just had money, had no financial uh, life lessons, so basically yeah. just lost money. So that gave me, uh, since then I have been educating myself on the markets, on finance, on economics, things, uh, 
is a science career you never really engage in unless you have to. So there's definitely uh, another life lesson that's hopefully now set me up for future. No, I think that's that's good to know, you know, because uh, as you rightly said, these are important things in life that we should know, but we're not taught in schools, uh, unfortunately. Exactly. Um, and one of the things that I've been using recently to help me with that is a book called Principles by Ray Dalio. Uh, and okay. his, his principles of investment uh, and how he has built his, you know, Bridgewater Associates, uh, which is one mm -hmm. of the biggest investment firms as well, is amazing. Uh, and, and you would, I think you will link it quite well because he uses computer algorithms to uh, duplicate his own logic uh, and test right. out, will it work or not as well. So that, that's I a think, great book. Yeah, so that's, that's one direction I've started to take, like exploring more of both my skill set yeah. as well as just fundamentals in that. So definitely, I think I'll, I'll read up on that book. Great, thank you for the recommendation. Uh, so, do you have any unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? Huh. Okay. Uh, I like to have my dessert before my main course. Why wait till the end? So, um, yeah, that's just something I like to do. It's uh, on, yeah, on the, yeah. <laughs> is, that, just, is that since you were a child or is there something that you have grown up in the teens? Um, I think I can remember it as far as I know. I would always like have a sweet on my food plate and it will always be the first thing I would go straight after. <laughs> so maybe I just have a very big sweet tooth, but that's, that's just something I still carry on and still probably do if I can. <laughs> that's perfect. Uh, no, um, you've done a bachelor's uh, and schooling from India um, and then you did your master's from US. Uh, so is there any learning that you still carry from either school or college that you apply uh, still? Um, in general, I would attribute a lot of my learning from uh, small habits I have picked up uh, from shadowing my advisors. So I think that's that's generally a good learning. Um, and I try to basically that I use a lot of that in my, it's, it's, I would say it's mostly always the soft skills that you pick up uh, that carry forward. Um, so one thing my advisor was really good at was context switching. Uh, and it's basically like he would be talking to lawyers uh, at one meeting and then suddenly switching to this uh, technical meeting with some students like me and he would still be on top of things and he would remember things discussed three months back that I would not remember. Mm -hmm. um, so in order to do that, like how do you switch context very nicely and that's I think a very valuable skill that I've picked up by uh, following him over the years. Another quick one uh, is uh, just uh, basically having discipline. So one of my advisors, he used to basically, uh, the way he would keep his brain sharp is he every day at 5 a.m. in the morning, the first thing after he did get up, he would solve math problems. Uh, I'm not completely there yet, but every time I try to uh, find a time where I basically just solve puzzles or something like this to yeah. keep myself, my brain sharp enough for problem solving. Great. That's, uh, I mean, I, I think I'll struggle more with getting up at five o'clock. Uh, then solving the math problem. Uh, yes. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting one. Uh, you know, you get busy days uh, and even during COVID, you know, I'm sure you've been very busy. Uh, do you ever get overwhelmed or unfocused? And if you do, what do you do to bring your focus back in? A lot. So I think especially during these times, it's, it's something very prevalent. Uh, I think one thing I have found success with uh, recently uh, and in general is to like create a digital free zone so every time I think I'm getting overwhelmed, I think that, and that's uh, the thing that helped me is some, some, ex some form of just basically disconnecting from the world. So usually it's either going for a quick run uh, or it's uh, going on a drive. So I find driving very ther therapeutic. So basically just 
driving, putting a music on, windows down, and just driving around for an hour. Uh, making sure I'm not going towards the LA traffic, uh, somewhere <laughs> in the mountains, uh, don't wanna do that. Uh, if it's the nighttime, uh, I do spend a lot of time just staring at the stars, just like basically going outside and just yeah. like out into nothingness, not thinking about, but in general, any way that you can disconnect from the world. I think that helps bring back focus. Great. Uh, and you know, knowing what you know today, if you had the opportunity to instruct your younger self uh, something, what would that be? Uh, one very clear thing, uh, fundamentals. Uh, focus on fundamentals. It's so important to get your fundamentals down early on um, and having it solid because if the fundamentals are not clear, any of the fancy things that come after that just does not work. Mm -hmm. uh, so if so, I see that so much even in in career in um, like pick up AI technology uh, for example. Like you people would pick up the most hot topics right now and things like this, but they would just not be clear. If your if your math fundamentals are not clear, you're mm -hmm. not going to go go beyond step one. So and this applies to pretty much every single field I know. Uh, the second very um, second one would be don't be afraid to ask stupid dumb questions. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's something I wasn't great at. I would, but now I highly recommend that as one of the first things for any young growing up person. Great, I think that's a really useful uh, advice. Uh, you know, in the current times of COVID, uh, students are graduating uh, at the moment, uh, and the professionals who might be getting laid off, uh, looking to pivot their careers, have to upskill themselves. Uh, what advice would you give, firstly, graduates who wanted to, you know, look into a career in the domain of, you know, space exploration, uh, and uh, what you would your advice be for somebody, you know, from a different industry looking to now pivot career? Okay, um, so uh, I would slightly change. So you asked me about space exploration, but uh, for a recent graduate, uh, I would say more from the AI perspective because mm -hmm. that's how I came, come yep. from. Uh, so any computer science, AI graduates, one of the biggest problems right now that I see is, um, uh, actually, like, let me say, uh, the, say the other way. My advice would be don't be fooled by the current hot topic or a hype word. Uh, AI in general is hype, but even within that, people just, uh, there's so much in the media and so much uh, bubble around it that you just go for what you hear. Yeah. Uh, focus on problems that matter. Learn to see through uh, beyond that hype layer into what are like really the rock solid bottlenecks of this field and try to focus your career on that. For somebody who's moving from a different profession or, uh, or experienced professional, uh, one thing I'm starting, uh, I would an advice I would give is before you start to pivot, unlearn what you know. Mm -hmm. um, once you spend a lot of time in a career, like and I'm starting to realize like five years now, almost five years after in my job, I feel I'm starting to develop some form of tunnel view in terms of uh, not just of my field, but also of my uh, my current workplace. Yeah. So it's very important to unlearn what you know. Uh, and you can do this in two ways. One, just keep active about different fields and areas um, and just talk to as many people outside your field. So I, and university, this used to be easy because uh, I would have friends from music, from uh, biotechnology from totally different areas, architecture, yeah. and you would just learn from them. Then that gives you a fresh perspective on this. Mm -hmm. And that starts to, it's not as usual when you start doing, and uh, once you become experienced professional. Mm -hmm. So unlearn what you know and start from basics again. I think that's great advice. Um, and I completely, I think, agree with that. 
because uh, I've seen the same thing in my field, because uh, in manufacturing, um, and uh, you know, it's uh, the tech, the problem statements of manufacturing, unfortunately, are not known outside. Uh, so when you talk about these technologies, there's so many unique problems available, but people don't have the perspective of AI and the manufacturing problems. They have either one or the other. So you, so these things don't get solved, uh, unfortunately. Uh, so it's been great to hear, you know, uh, about how you got up to this point. Uh, where do you want to get to from here? Uh, that's that's a very interesting um, question. Uh, so uh, that's that's something I've still been asking for uh, in terms of how I want to. Uh, I do like my current work life in in terms of, but I still think it's in a very early phases. So something I am very excited about is uh, exploiting AI uh, and seeing the purpose of AI into much more of a widespread use. So something you see is still very, uh, you see in lab, it's beyond labs now, but uh, it's still not uh, in everyday hands, especially when you think of robotics. Uh, I would really envision uh, from, a, from a robotics, uh, robot, the roboticist in me wants to take robotics into every, make it pervasive across the world. Mm -hmm. So if I could contribute to that, that would be great. Uh, in terms of space exploration, I think uh, I would, I see, we are right now at a, a very good point where the commercial space industry is about to take off. Mm -hmm. And we are having this resurgence of um, uh, space as a fun thing that every country wants to come in. And we are basically exploring and having this exponential growth. So having part of that and making, again, human, making space accessible to everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and so that it doesn't become just something that two astronauts do in a year, but almost uh, anybody who wants to do can exp basically hitch a ride to space. Yeah. So both space and robotics, my, my vision going forward for the next, uh, with my career is if I could make these fields much more pervasive to uh, pervasive and accessible to everybody. That's something I would love to do. Uh, I think that that's great. And Shai, it's been great speaking to you and you know understanding your, your views uh, on these things as well. Uh, before we end, do you have any last comments? Uh, thank you so much for doing this. I think this is a great way uh, for uh, organizing, sharing ideas and learning from people's experiences. I just hope everything, uh, we all get over this uh, crazy time soon and uh, get back to our normal lives. And yeah. No, thanks, Shash. Hey listeners, hope you enjoyed the episode. Would love to hear your feedback in the comments section. And if you enjoyed it, please subscribe.